Um, we're going to hear from God's word again. Uh, Anne is going to come back. Uh, we're going to read from Acts chapter 4. Please open up some Bibles, put it on your phone or whatever. Acts chapter 4. Keep a mark in there. We're going to have a close look at this passage. Thank you, Anna. The context of this passage is that Peter and John had healed a lame beggar and had been preaching to the people and they'd been arrested. And this is just after they'd been released from their arrest. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Thanks, uh, Anna. <clears throat> Again, let's pray. Father, we sang earlier, speak, O Lord, as we come to you. Father, teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. It was back in the late 1990s. Jeff Kennett was uh, Premier of Victoria. And Jeff Kennett said, Christians are people of the past. He, he said that when Christians raised objections to the Crown Casino. To object to that sort of thing, said Jeff Kennett, meant you were out of step with the community. How could you possibly object to something that raised so much money for the state, that brought so many tourists to Victoria? 
And I can't help but wonder what Jeff says now. After all the investigations into Crown Casino. Back then, Jeff said, if you're a Christian, then you're living in the past. So get down to the casino and get with it. Now, I kind of wonder how you feel when you hear people say things like that. When people feel free to run down your beliefs. I'm not sure if my first reaction is to get angry or to get scared. And what do you do? Do you write letters? Do you phone up your member of parliament? Would they even listen to you? What do you do? Well, this morning we're actually looking at the first opposition to Christianity in the book of Acts. And as we come to this, I want you to notice that Peter and John actually acted first. And then they prayed. And then after they prayed, they went back to doing the same actions they were doing before. And will you notice that Peter and John's actions and prayer are grounded in the sovereignty of God? God is sovereign and he does rule over all. And over this term, we're trying to grow in our prayer as a church family. We're reading about prayer during the week, and it's already been held up several times. This is one of our main tools to do that. It is really good. We're reading about prayer, and we're looking at what God says about prayer on Sunday mornings. And we're going to do that shortly too now. First, we saw that prayer is simply talking to our Heavenly Father. Prayer is talking to Father God, who we don't see with our own eyes, and our unseen Father rewards us. Prayer is actually, well, as the picture says, it's faith out loud. It's our belief in God and our trust in him as our loving Father put into action and given words. And then we saw from Romans 8 that we pray with confidence because God himself through the Holy Spirit enables us to pray, answers our prayers and in Jesus actually prays for us too. Which means to grow in prayer, we need to grow in love for our Heavenly Father and to grow in confidence. Our Father is with us. Our love, our confidence, our faith can stand firm and secure because our God is the powerful, sovereign Lord of all. And that's what we're going to see this morning. So come with me. Let's go through. Let's have a look at Acts chapter 4. Open your Bibles. 
I want to start at verse 1. I just want to set the context a little bit. Uh, Peter is mid-sermon and he's interrupted. He's about to be persecuted. Uh, They're in trouble from outside the church. Calling people to repent isn't seen as good for the community. Verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came up to them. Uh, These guys, they've got a real problem. And you can see it there in verse 2. Greatly annoyed because, here's the reason, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, I don't know if you notice, it's the Sadducees who'd come up. And the Sadducees, they don't believe in the resurrection from the dead. That's why they're sad, you see. I know, it's an old joke. But what do you do? Well, these Sadducees, they grab Peter and John and they arrest them and they throw them in jail. Now first, just, just thinking about the scene, the situation. First, if God is sovereign, then why didn't he protect Peter and John? And the answer is that God's rule and God's plan is way bigger than we imagine. God's rule and plan is, well, it's compatible Sometimes it's hard to explain. It's compatible, it's concurrent with all other plans. And look, we need to think hard about this. No, we don't say that God turns evil plans into good plans. God judges evil. He doesn't change it. In Genesis, Joseph brothers planned evil against Joseph. God, though, was still able to work out his good plan. They were both happening. And here in Acts, the plan of the Sadducees is evil. But God will still work out his good plan. The plan of seeing the gospel proclaimed in all of Jerusalem. And we see all this played out in the meeting the church has after Peter and John are released. A meeting which turns into a prayer meeting. And so in verse 23 of Acts chapter 4, Peter and John head back to the other Christians and they tell them what's happened. And then they pray. It's a great prayer. Look at it. It's there, verses 24 through to 30. And they brace their prayer on God's sovereign rule. They lift their voices, it's faith, out loud. And together, this isn't a private prayer, this is a together prayer. And together, they say, verse 24, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. 
They say, God, you're creator of everything. You're more powerful than everything. Everything is dependent on you. Everything comes under your authority. And they're convinced God is sovereign. Even in their recent imprisonment. And they turn to God's word, Psalm 2, a psalm which champions God's sovereignty over the nations. Even over the nations which oppose God. Perhaps a bit like King Charles being sovereign over Lydia Thorpe, even while she riles about having to take her oaths in his name. And these Christians, they see the Holy Spirit at work in the persecution of God's anointed king. That this opposition against Christians is the same opposition which God's people have always faced. And so they say, verse 25, Sovereign Lord, you said, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Back then, back at the time of Psalm 2, Israel's anointed king was seen as being in a tight spot, surrounded by some genuine military enemies. And you see there, it's in verse 26 in Acts 4, the king is called God's anointed one. He's symbolically anointed with oil at his crowning. But more importantly, in the psalm, he's anointed with God's spirit to rule with God's authority. And the plan is that he'll rule not only over Israel, but actually rule over all the nations back there in Psalm 2. Which is why it seems the other nations aren't quite so keen. And so you see in verse 25, the people of the nations are conspiring. They're plotting. The kings of the earth are taking their stand against the Lord God himself and against his anointed. And back then, King David was the one that was in focus. But, but the promises then finally come through to Jesus. This is about King Jesus. And Jesus is, well, we say it sometimes, he is the King of Kings. Isn't he? And because these other kings aren't going to be fettered and limited and ruled over by the God of Israel and Israel's king, even if God is the God who made the whole universe, they're raging, they're conspiring. But because God is God, made the universe, he's actually not too worried. In fact, in Psalm 2, the Lord's response to their raging is, is to laugh at it. Really? Do you, do you really think? You know? 
They think they're mighty, but God's mightier. And so he thunders at them in his anger. And these hardened warrior kings, they just quake at his powerful anger. And in Psalm 2, God really says, don't mess with my anointed king because he's mine. He says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain, and the sovereign God is going to back his king against any threat. And then in Psalm 2, God's anointed king actually speaks. And it's really quite touching what he says. If you look at Psalm 2, it's Psalm 2, I think you'll find it verse 7. Because here's why God's king is actually so confident. God's king tells everyone, God said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. The sovereign God is going to back the anointed king against all the nations because the sovereign God is father to the king. And yes, we know that all of these promises in Psalm 2, they come to Jesus. That all the all-powerful sovereign God backs Jesus because the sovereign God is father to Jesus. And that's really quite touching, isn't it? And Josh has taught us, we, we know it, we've heard it many times really, we know that the sovereign God is father to all Christians too. And that, that's how the Lord's Prayer starts. Our Father. And so the sovereign God, he's going to back us too, isn't he? Which is why back in Acts chapter 4, the Christians pray with confidence and trust. God the Father sovereignly encourages them to pray. And God the Father sovereignly should encourage us to pray as well. These new Christians see Psalm 2 acted out in Herod and Pilate and the chief priests and the Jewish elders. I mean, look at verse 27 there in Acts chapter 4. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. God is sovereign. But it's not that God himself has done the evil. The evil of opposing Jesus is done by people. And they're listed off here in verse 27. And these Christians are absolutely unsurprised about this evil opposition. I am really saying they're unsurprised about being thrown in prison. Because the scriptures always said there would be opposition. Psalm 2 says it's a clash of kingdoms. It's the world against God. So they're not surprised. They know how the world treated Jesus. They also know God's in control. And that's why they're praying 
That's why they're saying, verse 28, Lord, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God's plan is achieved even while evil is done. God's plan is achieved even while evil is done. And these Christians are confident God their Father has their back. And look at what they ask for. They've praised God for his sovereignty. And now they pray this, verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. There in verse 29 is the word continue. It's used a couple of times here. That's what they want, to continue. I kind of wonder, is that your prayer in the middle of opposition? Because in light of what's just happened, they want to do it all over again. And the apostles want to keep speaking and healing and performing wonders in the name of Jesus. The name that they've actually been banned from using by the authorities. And they want to do it all over again and more so. When you think about all of that, and so yes, I'm really asking, let's meditate on this a bit. Let's chew it over just a little bit. I find it quite interesting what they don't pray for. They don't pray for God to remove the Sanhedrin. They don't pray for Christians to be elected onto the council. They don't even pray that Israel would be a nation under God. And if any nation had, to, had the right to be under God, Israel did. See, they know God's already set up his kingdom and it has nothing to do with any of the political realms here on earth. Now, I'm not saying that they're not interested in politics, uh, although it can appear like that, but I am saying that all earthly kingdoms oppose God. All these Christians want to do is get on with the business of speaking God's word with great boldness. And after they pray, says verse 31, there's a rumbling and the place they're meeting in shakes and all of them are filled with the Holy Spirit, which is exactly the same result as what happened back in Pentecost. Verse 31 says... They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's that continued word again. And continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now look, before we finish this morning, I do want to chew over this a little bit more. We've done some chewing, 
uh, let's, let's give this some hard thought. Let's get into this. And the first thing we need to learn is that, well, yes, it's kind of obvious, we should pray. <laughs> we, we actually should pray. In the Gospel of Luke, the disciples, they see Jesus praying often. And after watching Jesus pray in Luke chapter 11, they ask, Lord, teach us to pray. And it's kind of been an osmosis thing to some extent. And Jesus does. Even more than that, though, God actually invites us to pray. And says that there are real consequences if we don't pray. Prayer actually matters. We're going to do some Bible flicking. Let's flick over. James. James chapter 4. Turn in your Bibles. Have a look at this. James chapter 4. Just looking at the first couple of verses in James chapter 4 to start off with. James, it's right towards the back of your Bible. James has been speaking against living like the rest of the world. Specifically, James opposes selfishness and ambition. And now James identifies those worldly passions as the cause of trouble within the church. Who would have thought that selfishness and ambition would bring trouble in the church, eh? And James says prayer is what you need. And so James invites us to pray. James tells us that we desire things and don't have them because we don't ask. We don't pray. James says when we pray, God actually does act. God responds to our prayers. Look at the end of verse 2. It's fairly blunt. You do not have because you do not ask. So, well, let's get into the practice of asking then, shouldn't we? Isn't that what we should do? We should pray. James goes on to give another reason why we don't have in verse 3. We don't have because we're wanting to fulfil our own passions. But if we put aside our selfishness, our ambitions, then our Father in heaven will give us what we ask for. We need to pray. But it's not open slather. In fact, turn, turn over the page, James chapter 5. We're told that prayer, prayer which comes from right motives, is a powerful thing. Godly prayer, righteous prayer is powerful. Which is what you'd expect, wouldn't you? Because it's not the prayer itself which is powerful. We, we kind of need to get this. There are no magic words. Prayer is to the all-powerful Father. And, we, he, and when he responds to our prayer, well, well, he brings all his power to bear, doesn't he? I mean, that's a lot of power, isn't it? 
which was demonstrated in Acts chapter 4 by God shaking the building. Just in case they didn't know, here's an example, he says. Rattle, rattle, rattle. Do you see that from Acts and from James that God actually works through our, our prayers? Josh has got a hard time this morning. I'm picking on him. It's a bit like Josh's kids coming to him. You know, when they come running into his office at home, puffing and panting, Josh knows what's coming next, doesn't he? He knows what they're going to say even before the words are on their lips. But Josh allows them to blurt out their need for a drink. And then Josh delivers, doesn't he? And here's another example. Turn over, Job, Job chapter 42. Job is really a difficult book. It's a difficult book because Job is designed to teach us wisdom. That's what the book's all about. It's there to teach us wisdom. The suffering of Job is the vehicle which is used to teach us wisdom. And Job isn't just about how to suffer. And in the end, Job actually gets the Lord's sovereign power and how that power works in the world. That's, that's the wisdom. Job gets it in the end. And Job himself acknowledges that he himself was wrong about the Lord. Job learnt wisdom. Uh, look at Job chapter 42, verses 5 and 6. Job here himself, he says, I'd heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. He'd learnt what he needed to learn. And so his right response to, oh, I was wrong, wasn't I? Verse 6, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. But Job's friends haven't learnt the lesson that Job has learnt. They're still wrong in their view of God and themselves. That's why the Lord says to Aliphaz, verse 7, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Job's finally got it. And what do they do? What are they to do? Because they don't seem to know themselves. Well, they're to make sacrifices. And they're to get Job to pray for them. And because of Job's prayer, Aliphaz and his friends will be forgiven. Verse 8. And my servant Job shall pray for you. For I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. Wisdom and folly. I mean, do you see? God acts.
when we 